Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right, team, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here in Houston, Texas with J.H. Hugo, Texas Build Tong, out here in a really awesome warehouse that we just walked around. I call it a warehouse. It's more like a clinical facility, surgery meets, making things out of wild game. It's amazing, man. So good to have you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I love that we met down at, uh, it was down in Austin, man, is where we first met. You mm-hmm. guys, were, I saw y'all, you know, Texas Biltong. Biltong is what caught my eye. So before we dive into like the business of everything, how do you describe what Biltong is? Yeah, so um, Biltong, best way to describe it is a South African version of beef jerky. There's a few differences. Um, we never apply any heat, so it's only air dried. Um, we also dry and then slice, where jerky is sliced and then dried. Yeah. And that, that normally makes people understand what it is. So we'll dry everything in a big sort of a steak type idea and then slice it afterwards into the into the packaging it's um, like uh, uh what do we you were telling me earlier it's a little bit it's it's more like charcuterie that, than it is like jerky yeah right? yeah it's a, a, it kind of straddles that line a little bit yeah absolutely um do, how do you what's the background so when we were down i ask you this way when we were down in south africa a couple of years ago it's the first time i'd ever eaten biltong and it sounds like every rancher cattle person farmer or family has got like their recipe of biltong yeah we went everywhere glass of south african wine and biltong was on the table right talk to me about like the culture behind biltong man yeah it's uh, it's it's really uh, ubiquitous in south africa it's everywhere right i mean you'll go into a butchery and you'll just see the biltong slabs hanging hanging on the um from the ceilings really uh and families will will have their own recipe especially if there's a hunter um this well, the reverse. So in, in the uh, summer here in wintertime in South Africa, those hunters, you'll open the garage and the, you'll see the biltong just drying right. from whatever game they got. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's part of the culture. It really is, is deeply ingrained. And it, it's kind of neat the way that it, that it came to exist was you had the... Uh, what we call the Khura track or the Great track. Which How do you say that? The Khura track, which is Khura track. There we go. You've got to just clear that flame <laughs> out. Which really means it means literally means the big move or the big okay. trick um, or the big pull because you could use it like that too. But that's just funny, the big pull. But it's not anything to do with pulling. So the big, the big, the big tricks. Um, you had the Dutch settlers that. Uh, got taxed by the English. So maybe that's why Americans and South Africans get along so well. <laughs> the difference is... We, we both came from the same pain points. Yeah, there. it's like, oh, the English are taxing us? No, I don't like that at all. One of us had tea, the other one had built time. That's right. Yeah. So, so they, they moved to the interior of the country and um, those ox wagons, you'll, you'll see them here, here, those settler wagons that has the front open and the back open. Yeah. So they would hunt game on the... On the um, on the savannah, on, on the prairie there. And they were moving the whole time. So they didn't have time to build smokers and you know stand around while this stuff cures. So they had salt and vinegar on hand and then coriander from the Malaysian slaves at the time brought that in. So you had salt, vinegar, pepper and coriander. 
Um, so they would dunk it in a mix of that and then hang it in the in the ox wagon in, in the, the wagon and let and the then, air kind of just blow yeah through so it. just as the air dries it it dries naturally so there's no additional heat it's very organic um, and it'll keep forever once you get that hard outer coating it'll it'll keep forever and it's nice and thick so it stays pleasant it's not doesn't ever become leather now you do get we call them snap sticks which is like a, a cube type um, piece of a uh, piece of the the slab yeah that does go crispy and kind of snaps in your oh, hand oh it's actually like it's part of it yeah okay. yeah and you just is that an indicator at all like kind of a temperature gauge that this thing is turning or um no not not really i mean okay. there's there's really once it's dried nothing's going to nothing's going to make it go bad unless you didn't let it go long enough right I so see. if you if you leave it too moist it will pick up mold and and it will do things like that but if you if you cured it properly and you didn't fiddle with it while it was drying so you don't come and touch it with your bare hands yeah. too often and introduce new things to it um, it'll really stay for as long as you need it we I mean we have a year in our bags but it's mostly because we got bored at a year so it's like yeah okay we've got a year that's good enough it's good enough to ship it yeah out. yeah because yeah. it I mean every month you you leave the product at the lab cost you money that's so right. once we hit a year, it's like fine. So I have no idea how long it will actually stay in the bag officially. Is there like, is there any folklore or some like thing in, in South Africa where you have somebody who's like, hey, we've been saving this for this moment. We have a 50 year old biltong. Oh, no, not I mean, that I know. know that would that be great, but no. Wines I don't and stuff so. like that. Yeah. I'm always, I'd be curious. I bet you'd probably have like a blue cheese fuel where it kind of like has a bite back I, to you. I, I, mean, I bet it does. I think because it's not, you don't you don't dry it or age it in temperature controlled environments i think it'll just continue drying and become like a brick at some point yeah now maybe you could slow that down if you did it in like a fridge or something yeah. like that and that would be interesting to do i've i've always wanted to do built on in a dry ager and see what it does yeah but that's just for my own interest because i bet it would be great I bet you maybe you'll have like a, a grand, like a, a reserve bucket of meat that you guys can kind of like bring to the market and yeah. something and be able to do work, those weird skunk work type experiments. That's right. So yeah. I've, I have done, I will say, I have done a whole um, uh, tenderloin, beef tenderloin, yeah. at the, like a whole one. So you put it through the bolt-on process and you hang it up for a week. So the outside has that, that um, again, like a pellicle, but that, that harder outside. But then the inside is still like like a carpaccio, like a raw steak tartare or something, which is just delicious. It's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's uh, it's unaffordable to sell commercially because <laughs> you lose fifty percent, so you'd have to charge double to make your money back. Yeah. So it maybe be like four hundred dollars for the for the whole tenderloin or something. So in but theory, it's there's absolutely like absolutely delicious. There's no like level of thickness you couldn't do biltong with. It sounds yeah. like yeah, yeah, it's no a time I'm, thing. There, I, I mean, there are quality concerns. Like you, there's if you, and and I would say more palate concerns in South Africa. You would have people that they just walk by the drying the dryer and then it's done, right? So it's almost like a raw, still a raw steak. Other guys want it two, three weeks and you throw it on the floor and it shatters like a piece of glass. So it's, yeah. It really is down to taste, and and we've done some tests here because it's a jerky market. Traditionally, um, 
it'll be more towards the drier end of the of the spectrum um, yeah. to kind of fit that. But yeah, in theory, there's no limit to doing to doing that. It's just how big your dryers are and and what sort of patience you have. Ideally, you want you want a gradual drying process. So yeah. so almost like like you would have with the things like Palmer ham and these these sorts of things. Um, if it dries too quickly, the inside isn't cured, and that opens you up to to some dangers and stuff. But it's it's um, fascinating, man. Like yeah. I actually, when you were talking about the the initial folks on the on the big, now, you said pool is not the way to think about it. Now that's the only thing I can think of. Right, on the big pool <laughs> the, on the, the big, big trek. The, when I think about those folks, I'm like, how did they even come up with the idea to like let's just try hanging this meat after yeah. a while? Do you have any insight into like how people wing those kind of things? And yeah, go, I wonder if this works. The only thing I can think of is so so these were mostly Dutch and French people, yeah. um, settlers. Um, the only thing I can think of is if you look at Switzerland and the Alpine regions around Germany and so on, you'll find these dried, air-dried beef products, which are more like ham-type products, but made with beef. Yeah. Um, and also you look at things like uh, the Spanish and Italian Parma hams and, and um, prosciutto and things like that. Very similar processes. So the only thing I can think of is that that knowledge, that European style of drying things just came with them and then they had the spices that were available but the limitation that they can't put it in a cellar somewhere because they didn't have any cellars. So they had to modify it to uh, just hanging it up in the, in the ox wagon. So, so that, I mean, like that makes sense. process, maybe they yeah, could put it together. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense to me, but there's nothing uh, that I could prove. That that's where it came cool. from. Yeah. I think maybe it's just in our nature as humans to like try something random Yes. And be like, you want to test it? Like, yeah. let's see what happens if, you know, anyone dies eating this thing. We just let this piece right. of meat hang out for three yeah. weeks. Well, so, and, and, and frankly, you had the original um, South African people, the, the, uh, the Bushmen, that would dry meat as well and preserve it as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I bet that there's a lot of that skill that was kind of transferred as well yeah which makes it which is why the process is relatively unique because it's not a european process the spices has you know asian influences in yeah. them and then you had the original inhabited inhabitants of south africa that you know had a, a strong hand in, in it too so it really is unique uh southern african at least so it's its own yeah it's its yeah own thing. it really is its own thing um so and it's delicious. So it's, white, white. it's delicious. Yeah. I know we're going to do a, a biltong making session after this, which I'm stoked about, which sure. by the way, I mean, thank you for also letting me bring an experimental meat with yeah. me. I harvested this mule deer, um, got this mule deer in Colorado on the Colorado, Wyoming border, um, last year. Okay. And it's been, have you ever eaten mule deer? Uh, I haven't. No, it has got this natural sagebrush taste to okay. it. It's delicious. I mean, okay. it is, I've had venison before, and I like it, but it's a pretty lean meat, and so right. it's not as fatty and flavorful as beef, and it definitely doesn't have that kind of flair that pork can have. Sure. But it, there's something about it that feels like, it's like the perfect chili meat. Right. Mixed. So anyway, I'm glad to be trying this out, and I can't wait for us to figure out, you know, uh, if this is, you know, if you need me to go on mission to go get as many mule deer as you can, yeah, yeah then maybe this is a new kind of like reserve line. But thanks for doing that. Yeah, anytime. And I think, I mean, there's no reason why it won't why it won't work. And the sagebrush flavor, in fact, should lend itself to to that. Yeah. Um, because it is coriander 
and black pepper are quite earthy notes. Yeah. So I think it will play nicely. Um, and it, I mean, it is very simple ingredients, right? I mean, right. it is like I'm looking at your package right here, man, and it like blows my mind. I feel like most of the time you pick up a piece of jerky at the store, I won't name the companies, yeah. you'll go out there and I'm like, okay, I recognize three things. Right. And then after that, I see red 14, things I can't even pronounce yeah. that are probably on the periodic table. So I look at this and it goes beef, vinegar, salt, coriander, rosemary, black pepper, paprika, and cumin. And this one's even less. Yeah. Yeah, this has got like three less things. None of it are things I've never heard of before. Right. Literally what you just said was what goes in here. I got to imagine that's what lends itself to being healthier too. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the whole, the whole point for us is um, there's no reason that healthy stuff should taste bad in the yeah. first place. Yeah. And I think people are w waking up to the fact that red meat isn't a bad thing. Like, the, I think there was a period where red meat got this, this vilification on it. And jerky got this thing like, oh, no, jerky's a terrible snack. And if you look at it, a lot of it will have high amounts of sugar and a bunch of other things. So then I tend to agree. Um, but if you treat it like like we do, there's really nothing in there that that says this is bad for you. Um, yeah. And in fact, if because of, of how little we process and how little we add to it, um, the protein and the macros in there are just ridiculous. Oh, ridiculous. So, yeah. Man. No, I mean, dude, this is I feel like every time I do my, a lift, or a strength training exercise or a workout, I should just down a bag. I mean, yeah. 32 grams of protein in a serving. There's two servings in this bag. That's right. Mm -hmm. Dude, so 64 grams of protein, and it's way better than drinking a boring smoothie. Oh, man. yeah. Yeah. So it has the it's same calorie, calorie to protein ratio as lean chicken breast, um, which is, you know, better than, than any protein bar or yeah. any, any of that stuff. Um, and I think it tastes a lot better than, oh. than the lean It's amazing. Bricks. It's like butter, dude. We were eating it. We were eating that slab over Christmas uh, through the roof, man. And right. so, so okay, I want to talk more Biltong for sure, man, and then love the business of it and just kind of what y'all are doing. But let's talk about JH, man. Like, you grew up in South Africa. Yep. Johannesburg. They call it Joburg, or is that an American thing? No, do? we call it Joburg. You call it Joburg, yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that life, and then what got you to come over to the great state of Texas, Yeah. Man? Yeah, so, I mean, Joburg was always, it's always interesting. Um, it's a, it hardens you in a lot of ways yeah. because of the, the, the challenges that you have um, with things like, like crime and, and nowadays what's happening with the, the power grid and, and um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of difficulty. So the people that, Jahan, Jobergers in general, uh, specifically, but, but South Africans in general, tend to be pretty hardened to to uh, to circumstances so yeah. um, it was a great when we had the big freeze here in Houston last year everyone else around us was kind of losing their minds a little bit and we thought oh great we have this great four-day camping experience so yeah. we pulled in the camping gear and got the fireplace going and we just had a great time um, and I think so so that's one of the things that that I brought with me and and learned growing up that things can suck and they can suck really badly but your attitude kind of determines how you uh how you survive those things right um and yeah we can get to to how spoiled we are in the in the u.s when i think back so it make it makes i think it makes one very grateful for what you have some of the things we argue about 
as a society here just they don't even register as a as a thing in in a place like South Africa because you're not you're dealing with with real problems yeah right suddenly um, you make the top 10 list when we were visiting South Africa a couple of years ago I remember we were and they they said it so matter of fact we were staying with a really great family out there and they were like oh just a heads up but uh, we're virtually out of water in the country and I was like or oh, we're virtually out of water I think that's what they said yeah. and I go okay maybe they mean like they don't have bottled water or something right. like basically you know we'll be drinking tap water and they're like no I don't, we're out of water in the country yeah. it's very low right now it's very likely that when you show up uh, we would be heavily rationing maybe to one to two showers a week max right and I was thinking to myself the exact what you just said reminded me of that conversation because it made me go we don't even have to think about those things right. here water being available or not available uh, is that the kind of stuff that you feel like hardens the people in South Africa yeah yeah and and so I wouldn't say yes absolutely that's a sort of that's exactly it um, and and it makes them very resourceful like privatization you know while the government might have some ideas about you know government controls a good thing for example they might think that way the people realize no this isn't great so they'll privatize everything whether the government wants to or not right so <laughs> just take it of their own accord yeah like, We're just yeah nice. most most people I still know will have solar power and they'll have generators so even though th there's a monopoly on on who can generate power there's one company right now that can do that part state owned and, and they're the one that's failing so if, if you want power 24 hours a day you've got to make your own plan so people are just privatizing their own power right with solar with generators and things like that um, and the same thing is happening with water everyone's putting down a well in their in their um, uh, in their backyards the police force has been private for years now we don't wait what do you mean by that yeah so it's not official but everyone has armed response, right? So, so you'll have, if, if you have the burglar alarm goes off, yeah. the police aren't the people that show up. There's a private armed response that'll show up to determine how big the problem is. And if there was a break-in or something like that, then the police would get called. Because if you rely on the police, it's just, it's another government service that is basically failing. So you privatize that. Um, now it's not again it's not called a private police force but it really is what it is no i mean but like but it's kind of neat y'all are taking care of your own it sounds like. like yeah when there is nothing there you can either complain about it or you can do something right. about it yeah the flip side is without getting too deep into the like political weeds but the flip side of that is that the government relies any government relies on the people to be involved in keeping them afloat right so if the people start withdrawing their money yeah. and privatizing more and more services, the government that's already bankrupt is becoming more and more bankrupt. So you have this almost failed government, but the private citizens are not, they don't look like a failed state, which is really, really interesting. Wow, man. Yeah, that's probably a mind game, right? You show oh, yeah. up and be like, it feels like it's thriving here. Yes. You know, and I'll admit the family we stayed with had no signs that they were struggling. Yeah. You know, and they, one of the brothers I think we talked with, he was like, you know, they had a pretty big ranch out there. We employ like 20 people. We feed ourselves because of the ranch and the food that we provide. So to your point, it's thriving. And then you go read a headline and it's like a failed state. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and I mean, that's the, the, 
the interesting thing about it. It's so when you read the news and, and that's all you look at, you think it's this this country you don't want to go anywhere near. Yeah. But I can't wait to go back every every time we can. Um, especially as a tourist, your dollar goes a lot further than <laughs> than living there does. So you just got a promotion. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. It really is. I mean, being a tourist in your own country, we get to see things that we would never have been able to do yeah. while I was living there because, you know, it, it, it's a tough living. Um, and yeah, I, I'll give you an example. So you'll know during COVID living in Texas, there was this big fight about masks, right? Do you wear them? Don't you wear them? Is it private? Does a private citizen decide? Does the government get to tell you all that? And it was this massive fight. Yeah. And we were in, in South Africa. This was in 2021. And I was having this conversation with a good friend of mine. And I got pretty heated, like people in Texas were getting pretty heated about the mask thing. And he looks at me and says, we don't care. We just, this isn't an important thing to us. Yeah, fine, the government can tell us to do this, but this isn't an important thing because we are worried about where's food going to come from? I don't have power today. You know, what is the crime rate doing? These are the important things. So yeah. whether we mask or not, it's so irrelevant. It doesn't even feature on the top 10 of, of stuff we're thinking about in the middle of COVID. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it just pulls everything into perspective about how, how used to, I've been, we've been here for seven and a half years now, how used to that level of comfort we've gotten that we've lost touch with, with how, it, how it is there. Um, and yet there's so much joy and there's so much beauty and, and um, what is really hopeful is that responsibility is being pulled closer and closer to home. So you don't have, I mean, you'll still have that, but it's becoming where like fathers are taking charge of their own families. Like I can't rely on the government or the police to keep you safe. That's my job now. And I'm going to teach my sons that it's your job to to make a future for yourself because you can't rely on somebody else to make this future. And I think that has a lot of uh, potential. Like if you, if you um, instead of just demanding rights, you actually focus on responsibilities. I think that has a lot of legs on a yeah. societal le level, which I wish some of that would come here, frankly. Um, but that's me complaining with my American hat on again. No, like <laughs> no, but I think you're right, man. I mean, it's like a, it's an old, wise foundational lesson that when you're ever like going through an argument or whatever or disagreement with somebody if you just take half a second to go let me take responsibility for my actions in this conversation yeah. all of a sudden you've kind of dispelled this like it's almost like we're trying to seek some vindication yes right and in america i think maybe that's actually correlated the more nuanced the things we argue about right. the better off we have it and we just got to be reminded about sure. that whereas it sounds like kind of what I'm hearing from you is the people in South Africa are like, look, man, I don't really care if you wear a mask or not, because like that is, we're trying to survive here. That's right. a, it's a very different problem set. I wish I had the luxury to complain about, uh, you know, how much a certain little mini thing is, or, you know, whatever those things are. Yeah. I think that's a, this is one thing that when we do talk to, when I converse and talk with a lot of my friends and, and stuff, you know, being in the, in the military years ago, I miss this kind of daily cadence of doing something difficult right. and suffering because it kind of centered you on what is important. Right. And I think when you live in, quite frankly, one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest country in the world, 
it's really hard to be reminded of those tough moments. Yeah, yeah, no, it 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 really is. Um, you should start a business that reminds you about that quite often. But <laughs> like, yeah, uh, how yeah, hard things general, can be. Yeah, you're like, you know what? I need my I need my daily suffering. Let me go that's start right. Texas built. Let's go. Let's go and start a business. That'll that'll get you centered pretty quickly. Um, but no, so yeah, so so. Uh, that's I mean that's exactly it there's that challenge and yeah so we were my wife and I we always wanted not to get away from that but we we just wanted an adventure of some description right we yeah. we like doing the overlanding stuff and the camping stuff and um, then would you know we just felt like we would love to live somewhere else we were actually looking at the UK really hard because there's so many South Africans there um, they call it London is Johannesburg North, right? But it's, <laughs> there's so many... Way north. Yeah, way north. <laughs> um, so we were looking at that at the time and, and for, you know, for a bunch of reasons didn't work out. And while we were looking to move to the UK, the company I was working for in, in Joburg got acquired by an American business based out of Miami. Um, and they then actually, after a number of years and... and this was in 2012. In 2016, they said, okay, we've now integrated and we don't need two executives in the Johannesburg office anymore because they're a big Fortune 100 company. Uh, we don't need two executives. So they offered it, the job to my boss at the time and I would kind of take over in, in South Africa. And his family then in the end said, no, they don't want to move to Texas. So they came and had a look at Houston and like, no, no we don't want so to no, move. Thank you. Yeah, so... The guy who would then later become my boss then um, said, well, we hope you don't mind being our second choice, but you still want the job. I'm like, yeah, my ego isn't big enough for that. Absolutely, let's go. <laughs> um, but then the caveat was that we, I was here on a sales meeting in March and I had the interview while I was here. And they said, okay, you've got the job, but you've got to be here in June. And because of how difficult visas are and, and stuff, there was no way for my wife and kids to come and see what the U.S. was, was about. So take your word for it. Yeah, so I was literally in an Uber from, um, from the Woodlands to, to uh, the airport, and I called my wife and I said, hey, we've got this opportunity. Do you want to do it? Um, and she said, and I said, but I need to know when I land back in Johannesburg. So we've got like 24 hours to make this decision. <laughs> Plenty of time. Yeah, plenty of time. So I get through security and she calls me up and she says, okay, I prayed about it. Yeah, we're done. Let's, let's do it. So before I even got on the plane, I could phone the guy back and said, yeah, we'll, we'll get we're it in. done. We're in. Um, what were you doing at the time? I think it was in aviation. You yeah, said? so in aviation, aviation services. So, so kind of logistics for um, non-scheduled aircraft primarily. So private uh, military, um, big cargo operators, things yeah. like that. When they, when they were flying away from their home base, all the services they need, the company would, would set them up, um, including brokering uh, jet fuel, like yeah. spot deals and stuff. So that's the company that acquired us did that same thing. And they acquired f four total companies that did that same thing. So they needed someone to consolidate all of those supplier networks. And that was what they asked me to come and do so globally. So I went from just focusing on South Africa and, and, and Africa aviation to more of a global perspective. Yeah. Which is great. It really gave me so much 
opportunity to work with different cultures, work with different people. Um, really met some fantastic people that, that you know, work really hard. Um, yeah, so really I'm great. And that got me here. So I'm really grateful to so that. So got you to Texas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then... Did you hear about Texas before? Like, was that a new I mean, entity? I, so I, I had been here before the trip where I had the interview. I'd been here once to Houston. I, I liked it. I mean, it was cool. I'm curious, like, uh, if you can remember that day, what was your initial impression of Texas? Or Yeah, so, so I mean, it's size, right? It, this, this, the cliche, everything's bigger in, in Texas. It really is. That's the size that, it's the size of everything that got. Yeah. Like the car lots and like the, the you know, the, the size <laughs> of like a dealership. And the size or of the why flags. anybody is daily the size of the and why anybody is daily driving an F three fifty which is like a semi truck yeah, in Italy right that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or uh, um, just the size of the highways um, or the size of the servings like everything like when when they say everything is bigger in Texas yeah and you know I was in aviation so we landed at George Bush and just the size of the airport not not necessarily the buildings but the size of the the runways and the, and yeah. the where the actual aircraft are moving. Everything's bigger in Texas, and that—that's what really what caught me. Um, but then, when we, what made me fall in love with the place is both times. Instead of when we would do business trips to the UK, for example, um, you would always be hosted by the local office, but it would—you would be going out to dinner somewhere, some fancy corporate thing, or whatever. Yeah. When we came to Houston, every occasion we would go to one of the executives' homes. And they would host us so they would get it catered and you would visit them in their house right and their family would be kind of your host for the day yeah i just felt like that's so generous and so the spirit that that tells people no come to my house i want to make you feel welcome is something that we would understand as south africa that's how you get Yeah, yeah yeah so that's what really made me made me feel like okay texas has something to offer um and then houston is very international right so so you don't um you always have this opportunity of, of meeting interesting people and i like meeting interesting people people fascinate me yeah in general um so yeah we've we've met we've made some really really good friends um locals and and the kids do really well in school so yeah, there's no, no way that we would leave um, the U.S. Now, whether we live in Houston for the rest of our lives, summer gets old really quickly. Oh, my God. You're cooking in sweat yeah. in Houston, yeah. dude. I mean, like, yeah. the closest to that is, like, hanging out in Florida. Yeah. You know, we're just, like, you're – it's uh, – I tell – there's many different there's the cities in texas have their own personalities and they all like add this one cohesive brand called texas but houston when you're from houston you have a different level of grit because there is this like what's the point in taking a shower if you live in houston right because you're going to be gross in five seconds yes you know so no i totally get that it it also reminds me you're talking about texas when we were in south africa the one they, they they're very hospitable people but I noticed when I said we were from, when they asked us, like, well, where in the states are you from? And we'd say Texas. It was like a twinkle turned on. Yeah. They were even more catering to us. And I think there is that kindred spirit that already exists. Yes. And one of them described us 
I'm probably going to mess up the facts here, but it's my show, so I'll make it up. Right. And so it it was like we're we're in South Africa and we're drinking some wine out there, which y'all's wine country is unreal, man. Right. And uh, we're talking to them, and, this, and I said, why is it that y'all like – one of them was like, you know why we like Texans so much? And I said, well, why is that? They go, back in the 80s, we were losing our crop. All our wine crop was dying, just okay. through the roof, failing. This locust or some bacteria or something had poisoned or like was killing everything off. And he said, so all our best winemakers from South Africa scoured the, the world for a way to save our plants. Like right. literally our industry was going upside down. And the only place we could find it was in Texas, I think in Fredericksburg, we oh, found no a vine that was resilient to this particular death thing that was happening. Right. So they said, uh, we started grafting it with our vines and it saved our industry. And oh, they wow. said, so we like to say that our wines all have a little bit of Texas in it yeah, yeah. because it was the vine that helped us. So in addition to just kindred's personalities, yeah. the crop, our industry was saved because right. of a Texas vine. Yeah. So it made me go like, all right, maybe Cali wine isn't that good. You that's, know? <laughs> that's a, yeah. It needs a, needs a little bit of help. Yeah. No, that, I mean, I think that's, that's, I've got no idea whether it's, whether it's true or not, but it sounds really cool. So we're going to say it is. Yeah. I just, I don't know enough about wines. Um, yeah. Probably tastes great with Biltong, I'm sure. It does, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm, I, so I'm more on the consumer end of wines. That's where my expertise lies, not on the production. <laughs> the most expert. That's yeah, right. right. <laughs> the most expert. So you yeah. guys get to Texas. Yep. You're working here. When did the shift go from, hey, I'm going to keep working this, you know, this, this job here and let me go take a bludgeoning to the face and yeah. start my own business? So, so in... in it's also so the um, the co-founder is uh, he's from Texas, born and raised in. Well, he was born in Japan. He's a Navy guy. His dad was a Navy guy, so he's born in Japan, but he's from Houston. Um, so we get here, and and it's actually it's a it's an illustration of the the difference in, in how we use words, which is you'll see. So we get here, we make friends with them about. I don't know, about six months in or so, our kids go to the same school. So um, I started talking with him and I, and I say, man, I miss Biltong. And he says, what's that? And I explained to him what Biltong is. And he says, oh, you mean jerky? I'm like, okay, I guess I mean jerky. Now, to- but You didn't really know what jerky was. No idea. Not the foggiest, but wow, I, I knew that jerky was preserved meat, but that's all I knew. Because we, you don't eat jerky in South Africa. It's, you know, it's, it would be, like trying to start a biltong business in the US. <laughs> it's a pretty steep hill to, to climb. So we, um, so I go and buy some jerky and I, I forget which brand it was, but just, you know, something from like, uh, like HEB or some, one of, one of their brands. And I try it and it's, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> so I go back to him and I said, no, jerky is terrible. It's not the, not the thing. And <laughs> not he said, at no. all the same. Yeah, he said, no, you need to get good jerky. Said, okay, what is good jerky? And he say, and he gives me um, this place about 45 minutes north of town. So I make the drive up there and I get some good jerky. It was better, but I come back and I say, I bet you I could do this better. And he said, yeah, whatever. So I, I manufacture a drying box out of uh, Walmart parts, effectively. I build this little box and um, make it they invite us over for thanksgiving and i make a box of this uh built on and his family you know i put it there and open it up and and you can just 
grab as much as you want. And his family cleans it out within the first 20 minutes and says, this is just delicious. And he says to me, hey, this needs to be a business. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Call me when you're sober. Yeah. And two weeks later, we talk again, and now there's a business plan behind it. And before we know it, this is end of 2018, and we've, we've um, got some ideas. And then March, April of 2019, we founded a business. And we started producing and trying to figure out how do you make this thing. We, we used uh, shared kitchens. We used uh, a number of different alternatives. And then finally, okay, there is a market for this. We've got to get serious about it. We need to have our own facility because the only way you produce it is under inspection by yeah. either the USDA or, or um, the Texas uh, Department of Agriculture. So we went through the USDA process and, and then built this uh, to start producing it. And that was in 2019, the, we founded the business and started construction. So we were using shared kitchens before then. So we were selling a little bit throughout 2019, 2020, but it took us really 18 months to have this approved because we broke ground at the end of 19 and then COVID happened. Yeah. And no one in the USDA really could tell us exactly what we needed. So a lot of it was... Because was it's not a butcher shop, it's not a cold packing... It's just yeah, its own yeah, thing. And, and the only facilities that had that inspection at the time were really big ones, 20,000 plus square, square feet of, of built-on facility. One, one, um, uh, and none of them in Texas. Um, so we were just trying to figure this thing out and then you know had to go back to the drawing board and, and write rewrite documents and, and so on so we figured it all out and finally started producing um, from from this facility for about a year or so and then just realized oh we're gonna need a lot of people yeah um, and this was you know luckily neither of our jobs were very busy throughout COVID because I was in aviation and, and he's in a relate, well, not a similar sort of industry that was very dependent on, on travel. Yeah. So um, we had some spare time. <laughs> and then when COVID went away, I was like, uh-oh, now what? <laughs> Pick up. <laughs> yeah. So y'all were working your gig still while also getting this thing running? That's right. Yeah, yeah. man, that's yeah. a hustle. Yeah, so, so then uh, about uh, 18 months ago, I, uh, I quit my job, the full-time job that I had, um, and just started doing this from savings and, and trying to, to make it work. And we brought in another investor, um, did a whole rebrand, relaunch of the website from what it was to what you see now. Um, was it always Texas built on? Always Texas built on company, yeah. but, it, but it looked a lot different. Um, yeah. We didn't drive the Texas messaging quite as hard as we, we do now um, only because it was we didn't know how to do it but the guy our investor that we brought on board at the end of uh, 2022 he's a marketing expert a digital marketing in particular and that's yeah. where he made most of his money um, so he really helped us embrace that yeah and yeah and and obviously having a vested interest he wanted to make it make it work so yeah. we've learned some some interesting lessons about it's not what works for typical e-commerce businesses doesn't work for us because we've got a big educational hurdle to overcome. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're 
if we're ending up in the same search results as jerky brands, there's nothing to differentiate us unless people know what Biltong is. Um, so we'll, we'll have to change a few things up here in the new year. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty anti-big business, so I've been anti-working with Amazon, but I'm like, okay, we have to work with them somehow. <laughs> yeah. So we do, we have a store now. I still do the fulfillment right now, but we'll, we'll probably go to some of our products will, will be um, a different fulfillment, fulfilled differently uh, via Amazon. So there's a, a lot of things we've learned, a lot of things we're, we're starting to do now um, that's, that's showing results. But by far the most important thing that we've known is that education thing only happens when we're in front of people. They saying, have to interact with the product. They have to interact with the product. They have to have the experience of seeing the slab um, cut up kind of in front of them, seeing what the difference is between a biltong slab and, and the sliced product and connect the dots that everything is a slab until it's a sliced product. Yeah. Um, and, and then what the differences is, like we're not saying this is better than jerky, we're just saying it's in the same ballpark as jerky and we'd love for you to give it a try and then yeah. you make your you, you make up your mind whether you want to replace biltong for jerky or whether it's a it's a both end you know i'm not yeah you remind me of a friend of mine who runs a company called desert door brent luby and he um he says at the beginning they they make sotol okay. have you ever had sotol no it's like a texas uh it's a texas spirit it's awesome man okay but they were fighting people because they're like, oh, it's kind of like tequila. Like, no, it's not tequila. Like, well, it's right. kind of like mezcal. And it's kind of, a cr it's kind of somewhere in between. It's like a cross. Right. And to his point, he's like, after a while, we just stopped fighting it because it was a familiar thing for folks. And so allow them to come through the door and yes. then interact with it and go, oh, no, it is different. And so I love that y'all are saying like, yeah, I mean, jerky, that's the group of things you like to eat. Just come in and try this thing out. Right. I think so many operators and entrepreneurs like, we get so like so beholden to the what it has to be kind of righteous about it right that we don't even let the customer determine on their own yeah like, what it is well i think this is it I, I mean i always call that the ipad problem right so we have this thing that we know that everyone is going to love once they try it everyone yeah. that likes meat is going to love this thing everyone that's that's my arrogance but let's say 92 percent, <laughs> right yeah. um be conservative 92 percent of people that like meat are going to like this thing yeah um but they don't know what it is. And I think that's what happened with, with iPad, right? When that was launched, you had laptops and phones. So why does iPad exist? And you have jerky and charcuterie. Why does Biltong exist? Yeah. So you've got to, now we've got to kind of overcome that hurdle. And yeah, that's proved. Maybe if I was Steve Jobs or had like access to someone <laughs> like that, it would be easier. Different way, yeah. Different yeah, but it's but that's the I mean that's the challenge. It's it's educating people with that about that product, and it's not saying that now jerky is less because this exists, and it's not saying that charcuterie doesn't have its place anymore because biltong exists, right? No, this kind of straddles that line a little bit. Um, it's still a snack. Um, you know, I always like to say that it's going to change your life, but only because I said so, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. a meat snack. It's yeah. not, it's not, not like the, the beginning of a whole new thing. Um, but it does, I mean, that, that challenge is, is kind of unique um, to us. And I think there are bigger brands, Biltong brands in the U.S. And 
what you see a lot is they will do either rely on celebrity so they'll have some celebrity associated to the brand yeah um, or they will go the better than jerky route and I don't I think that's I think that's a bit of a a misstep in the sense that they are still often selling as if it's South African consumers buying it and the South African consumer won't buy American Biltong because South African Biltong is yeah, better. No, that's right. Yeah. And it has to be better because the safety requirements are less. So you can, you can really, <laughs> it, this is, this is, we're back to the, the difference in the, the, those the rugged around the edges. Yeah. yeah. You can, I mean, if you walk into a butcher, you can go and feel the thickness of the slab of Biltong that you want to buy. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you'll, you'll decide what slab you want. Yeah. Um, so you can determine the moisture content. You can. Um, there's also not as much uh, emphasis placed on placed on sugar-free and gluten-free. So you can add things like uh, Worcestershire sauce into your mix. And I do that when I make my own stuff, right? Yeah. Just as a treat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, South Africans would make it better because they don't have to overcome this USDA requirement. That's right. So if you're trying to sell to the South African market, you're trying to sell to people that aren't gonna like your product. Um, and I don't get that. Like I would much rather introduce this whole new, cause you have this, this massive opportunity to introduce people that would really appreciate a truly great product um, that they don't know about. Um, and then bring the culture along with it because the built-on culture is really what what i'm interested in um we i would love to have this facility as as once a year you bring in dads and their kids that yeah, have just gone hunting. Don't make it and, yeah, yeah like this interact. is how we preserve this is how we preserve meat this is what happens this is the science behind it um yeah so the um the built-on culture is uh is really what i'm interested in in bringing right it's um, having a family recipe of biltong, like teaching dads and their kids when they went hunting. You know, you might not ever or soon get to a point where you're buying slabs right from the butcher, although it would be cool if you did. Yeah. I think Texas and, and the wider U.S. has unique opportunities that you need to embrace. Like the, the just the size of the, the market here allows you to experiment with recipes, for example. Now in South Africa, you would, you would only find a traditional and a peri-peri version, right? You might find one or two others. What'd you say, peri-peri? Peri-peri. What so is just, that? That's like a, like a, just a spicy oh, okay. version. Yeah, yeah, it's a um, little bird's eye chili, what we call a bird's eye chili, it's peri-peri. Um, Portuguese spice, I think. Anyway, so that would be that would be the main the main flavors, like a, a chili one and a and a traditional one. Here, because of the size, you have the opportunity to maybe think about some other flavors. Maybe uh, I, there's some um, garlic and lime flavors that are out there, and there's some. Um, I saw some smokehouse flavors. There's a spice company that makes their own biltong called Cowboy Biltong, which yeah. is you know so it's you have this opportunity that would be completely abhorrent in South Africa, but that's really unique 
to the US because it's a budding market. You can you can write the the story from scratch. If anything, we kind of embrace that weirdness. Correct. Oh, what's new? Let's try that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly it. So I think that that the key for us is we need to make sure that we don't fall. And I think that's why it's so important that our co-founder is is Texan, um, and that you know we remain Texan, that we don't fall back into my own South African way of thinking. Yeah. Like I'll often make a joke when, when we test something, oh, this is so delicious, I better just go and hand in my South African passport now because it's done, <laughs> it's over. Um, this smoky, the smoky chili one, for example, is, is one of those that's exactly that, that we need to, like it, would nev- it wouldn't sell in South Africa, but it's probably our best seller here. Yeah. Because it is that mix of, of ideas. That's the one I picked up immediately. Yeah. And just because it was different, it had a different component to it. Yeah, yeah. everything about that. I and, think, it, and it's delicious. I love it myself. It's, it's delicious, really man. It's yeah. got so many, like the way I talked, it's almost, it's got this depth and jerky. It kind of melts in your mouth when you cut it kind of thin. And it's got this depth to it that you don't want to eat it quickly. Like, right. I feel like I'm crushing a bag of jerky normally on the uh, on a road trip. Right. Where here, I'm like, God, I want to take my time eating this thing because yeah. there's even the process of cutting it and shaving the right size piece and like right. go a little thicker next time and let's chew on it a little longer. Right. Everything. I agree with you, and I love that y'all capitalize on the Texas part. That Texas brand is, and not just being a Texan, but I recognize if you can make it in Texas and be embraced by the state. And the state is like, wait a minute, you want to ride the Texas brand? Okay, you're our people. Yeah. There is something about that. To your point, it's not we're better than jerky. It's not, hey, let's appeal to the South African folks. It's almost like, let's go. I like that y'all are leading with Texas because I do think that that helps in ways that you guys will probably still uncover. Because, I mean, let's be honest, Texas is better. I've just had to say that. For the for the Texas Chamber of Commerce <laughs> sponsorship, no. So, but but it is, I think I think there's something about the great state of Texas. Yeah. Right. The fact that you call it that with a straight face, it's like yeah, it is the great state of Texas. Yeah. Oh, you don't like it? Come and tell us to stop. Tell us to stop. Yeah. You can go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have some ideas what you can do with that. So, um, yeah. I th- I mean I I like that and I like there's a there's a level of. Um, it's almost arrogance, but I don't know if, if, if I don't know if arrogance is arrogance if you can back it up, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's uh, Winston Churchill. One of his famous insults was, "He's a humble man with much with much to be humble about," which is one of my favorite ones as well. And I always find that Texas is it's an arrogant state with much to be arrogant about, right? So there's there's a lot to to recommend it. Yeah. And yeah. So what if it's a little bit arrogant? It's it's allowed to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we want to we want to keep pushing that, um, and it's not you know for me it's always I always worry that it sounds like some marketing gimmick, but it's not that to me. It's really intensely personal because my family embraced Texas. My daughter, who's she was born in South Africa, we moved when she was two. She'll say y'all with a straight face. That's I right. still mess it up, but yeah. she'll get it, man. It's like yeah. oh okay. Apparently, one of us is local. Um, so yeah, that's how you do it. I mean, you got to get that next generation to, yeah. to continue to push it. I think you're I, the one thing about being from Texas or being Texan. I think it's like being American. Actually, it's one of the things. I mean, heck, our flags are similar, right? You just got the Lone Star and then 50 stars. Right. But what I recognized about Texas a while ago is that it is the one. St- so if I'm born in Illinois, then I can be from there. Or 
if I'm born in California, then I'm Californian or I, you know, but I got to kind of be born or from there. Whereas Texas is like America. You can just choose to call that right. your home team. Yes. Like, as far as I know, JH, I know you're originally from South Africa, but you're Texan, man. Oh, like, sure. as far yeah. as I'm like, and that's the beauty of this state is like, if you just choose to be Texan, now you're Texan. Right. And I think that's just part of like, be on the club, call it, <laughs> yeah, what does my buddy say? Unbridled arrogance or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but once you get here, I think you'll start to understand like, yeah. there's no, a reason for it. Absolutely. That, that thing about, I wasn't born here, but I got it, got here as fast as I could. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah. So I love it, man. I wish someone would just turn on the AC in Houston during the <laughs> summer outside a little bit because it's, yeah. it's warm. It's pretty rough, it, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know if people understand just how bad it is. I feel like we need to go back to that just for a second. <laughs> just how hot how Houston hot is. is. Yeah. It is, it is the, out of all the states, you know, I feel like you got the main cities, Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, right? You got the main cities there. And... Everyone has got their own little reputation. And Houston, right. for sure, is known as being a very, very big city. Right. Very international. But it is soaking sweaty, yes. hot and wet, man. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. How which is, gets here. If, if you're creating a product that needs 72 degrees and a constant low humidity, <laughs> maybe Houston is not the best place. Yeah. But what did I say about South Africans? We like to embrace that that toughness a that little toughness. bit so yeah you know you'll see here just even in this space we have two dehydrators and uh not uh dehumidifiers and a humidifier in here yeah so we could we can adjust the humidity in in this room as carefully as we need to because of that because otherwise you'll just be you'll never get a product out uh otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely that's perfect man now i it feels great in here, by the way. I'm so stoked, man, to get going and making some biltong with you. Yeah. I, I, we leave, and I could talk to you all day long about meat and protein. Sure. And all that stuff, especially from, like, as a hunter myself, this is, like, a perfect way to, you know, we make summer sausage or hunter sticks. This is, in my opinion, a really cool way to just do it at home. Um, and actually, it sounds like we'll use that mule deer, and I'm going to go try to air dry this thing at home, and I'll, right. we'll go both taste it together. We end every show with the same question, man. So, and thanks again for your time here, yeah. JH. I've noticed every entrepreneur, every person trying to do something in this world, especially run a business and, and build something that matters, a brand that matters, usually has some kind of North Star. Like on our team, it's courage and curiosity are the things that drive kind of how we think about these things. As y'all are building Texas Biltong, but even outside for that, just JH, like right. what is the thing that you felt has kept you kind of what has been the guiding light for you yeah. as you continue to move in your life yeah i'll i mean i'll be honest that we we moved like i've said earlier we moved to texas on a leap of faith after my after my wife prayed about it and um started this business and left my job after like a lot of prayer and a leap of faith yeah so i would say it's it's that like you know jordan peterson talks about being orientated to a higher good and he almost gets to the point, and I would say that it's for us and for me, but the business in particular, um, you know, each email, my email will have SDG at the bottom, so Solide Gloria, because it's all to the glory of God is what we do. So that's what we try and do, and that might lose us some fans, and that's fine. I don't care, um, because we play to an audience of one. So we try and be as, as honest as we can, as authentic as we can, um, you know, we, we get it wrong, we make mistakes, but then you ask for forgiveness. So that's kind of our, 
our guiding principle is, is to be as faithful to those around us as he has been faithful to us, if that makes sense. It sure does. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I would say that. Makes you want to eat Bill Tom more, man. Right. Makes you want, I'm really, dude, I, I think it's always refreshing to hear an operator, an entrepreneur, somebody who's running a, a, a trying to do the best they can by their family and by their business and everything to have this just kind of look at him like that's a good man behind yeah. the business and so because there is a bigger reason why he's here sure. you know and it's serving god and that's you know in my opinion that's I, that alone is going to keep me buying this product man well, and like taking it on adventures into alaska yeah. and all this stuff one i get to take a little bit of texas with me and right. south africa but i know it's just good people behind it so yeah. I appreciate that. JH, thank you, brother. This is awesome, man. I uh, will share all the links and everything else about finding your great company. I, you're all over the place in Texas and everywhere. So if you all see like an outdoor or a Yeti sponsored event or whatever, it would not surprise me if JH and the team is out there letting you taste their awesome biltong. Um, so thanks a ton, man, for your time today yeah. and keep charging forward, brother. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. We want to hear from you. So do me a solid. Leave us a review. We read every comment. If you got value from what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a thumbs up, share it with a friend. Thanks for being on the team. We'll see you on the high ground. JC out.